0: Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. Today's passage is Genesis 13 and 14. If you knew that you were going to receive an inheritance of 10 million dollars, Do you think that would affect your life now? Do you think that would affect your mindset now? Well, unless you're already a billionaire, I think the answer for most honest people is going to be yes. There are ways that would affect how you think now, right? You might not save as much because you know I've got, I already have this coming to me, or if there's some financial pressure right now, you might not stress about it as much because you know you have the resources coming. Here's the thing. If you're a Christian, do we not know for certain that you have an inheritance coming to you that is much, much, much greater than $10 million? Can you not say, I have more precious promises from God than that? And What I want us to see in our reading today is if you really believe the promises of God, if you have the promises of God, your life will be different. Now, we're looking at a specific character with specific promises, Abraham and the promises that have been given to him. And what I want us to see today is even as those are reiterated, I think we see Abraham behaving in a way that, Really flows from his faith in the promise of God. We we see that faith in God's promises makes him magnanimous, uh, makes him a worshiper, uh, makes him courageous, and uh, also makes him pure. Uh, We see in this passage. Those are four things that I want to highlight, and I want you to reflect on each of them, right? We're thinking about the then, the promises made. By God to Abraham, I think the always principle here is, well, God always keeps his promises and faith in God's promises should always lead to transformation in our minds and in our lives. And then the now will be kind of up to you as we think through these things. First, we see Abram being magnanimous. And you see this, a lot of the, the drama today in our two chapters is going to involve Lot. Abram's uh, nephew. And so it starts with both of them have grown rich. And now there is conflict uh, between the two of them. And more specifically, verse seven of chapter 13 says, there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And so Abram says to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me, between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And I do think there's a part of this story that shows Abram gave Lot the first pick. There is conflict And Abram moves to resolve the conflict by being magnanimous or generous. And I think that is a good principle for us to consider as we read this passage. What are ways today that you, in light of all that God has promised you as a Christian, what are the ways then you can be generous or magnanimous to others because you have the great promises of God to rely on. And and maybe even you should also think through this in the context of, of potential conflict in your life. Is there a conflict right now in your life that you could help resolve by being generous, by being gracious, like Abram is here? Um, again, that might not, Always resolve everything. We think of Romans as far as it depends on you be at peace with all people. You you can't resolve all things necessarily all the time with everyone. But here we see a conflict resolved in large part due to Abram stepping up to resolve it and doing so really at his own expense. And I want you to note that it's in light of that and even Lot choosing what he feels like is the best. It's after that that God comes back to Abraham And reiterates uh, so much of the promise that we see in chapter 12, starting in verse 14 of chapter 13. Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. And then again, he promises uh, just the multiplication of his offspring, even though Abram is at this time childless and of the land. So, that's the first principle that I want you to think about. Can you be generous because of God's promises to you? Another thing that we see in response to the promises of God, Abram worships. We've already seen that earlier in the chapter back in verse 4. He goes back to the place where he made the altar at first, and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And we've seen that phrase even going back to the end of chapter 4. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. And when he goes and moves after God reiterates the promise at the end of chapter 13, he moves his tent and settles in Hebron. And it says, And there he built an altar to the Lord. So Abram's faith in God's promise, he's walking through this land that he does not yet possess. He has not yet experienced the fulfillment of God's promises, but he is worshiping. And that's a good principle for us. You have not yet experienced the the full fulfillment of God's promises to you, but you can walk through this world as a pilgrim and a stranger and a sojourner in this world. You can walk through this world with worship. And that's why worship should be a consistent part of the time you spend with the Lord, even on your own. You should be someone that assembles with other people to worship God through your church. We are called to be worshipers, and we can truly worship from the heart in light of God's promises. I think we also see faith in the promises of God help Abram to be courageous. The next chapter tells this story Well, Lot goes and he settles in Sodom and Gomorrah, and you already know, because those names are now infamous, you know, that's not a great move. And chapter 13 highlighted that for us in verse 13 by saying, Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. And this wicked city, along with some other cities, including Gomorrah, is attacked by some kings that appear to be coming from the east. And they come and they defeat the kings of these cities. And it even talks about how the kings of these cities, they they fled. And the, the text doesn't make this explicit, but I do sense a contract. You get the kings of these wicked cities, they flee, right? In the midst of the battle, they flee. And I think there is a contrast here to Abraham who goes and pursues. He is courageous here, and he ends up being victorious, all right, he hears that his family member Lot has been taken captive and he gets his men and he goes and pursues them far to the north in the land of Israel. He divides his forces and he defeats them. So what what these multiple kings could not do, Abram does and he brings back all the possessions and all the kinsmen and Lot and, and the women and the people. He brings them all back. And I think he does show courage here. Now, a lot of teaching today, I think, kind of devolves rather quickly into, hey, let's look at some story in the Bible. And now, hey, you go name it and claim it. You be bold and courageous. And that's really, uh, you know, left up to whatever you want it to mean. You know, it kind of becomes a, a Christianized, you can do whatever you set your mind to if you claim it by faith. And that's not what I want you to do in response to this passage. But I do think there's a valid application for you to be courageous. And that's where, again, well, based on what? And I would say based on the Word of God. That's what we see. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the Word of God. And Abraham, he's trusting in the promises of God throughout Genesis. So, no... Courage in the Christian life shouldn't just be based on whatever your dream is or whatever your desire is. It should be based on well God's instruction, God's word, God's command, God's promises. And maybe there's a way in your fight against sin that you need to be strong and courageous. Maybe there's a ministry situation where you need to be strong and, and courageous I would encourage you first and foremost to think of those situations and the promises of God that apply to those situations and to be courageous in response to the inheritance that you know you will receive from the Lord. Now, there's a very interesting part in this passage that shows another contrast. The king of Sodom comes out to meet Abram, uh, but so also does this figure Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek will uh, come in prominently later in the Bible. Um, We'll see it mentioned in the Psalms, but also expounded more on in the Hebrews. And there's some questions I think is a valid question to ask, that some even might suggest Melchizedek is a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. I don't think that's the right answer. I think the Bible later, especially in Hebrews, is highlighting um, the, the kind of person that Melchizedek is, and he's a picture of what Christ will be, because notice this Melchizedek, he is the king of Salem, but he is also, it says, a priest of God most high. He is a king priest, and that's the argument that Hebrews make, the order of Melchizedek is a better priesthood than the Levitical priesthood. The Levites were not kings. And even in Israel, we'll see there's a separation between the king and the priests. Melchizedek, he is a king priest. And in Christ, that's what we need. We need a king priest. Uh, But in this moment in Genesis, we see... uh, Abram rejects the offer of generosity from the king of Sodom, but he gives to Melchizedek, the king of Salem. And I think that this shows an aspect of purity. Abram does not want to be mixed up at all with the king of Sodom. And uh, in verse 22 of chapter 14, you see that Abram says to the king of Sodom, I had lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I should not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who are with me, right? He's being generous to the people that went with him, but he's saying, I'm taking nothing from the king of Salem. And part of that clearly is he doesn't want that from the king of Sodom. He doesn't want the king of Sodom having any glory over Abraham. And based on the context, I feel like part of that also may have to do with the fact of, I don't want to be associated with this wicked king and these wicked people. He is living in the land in a pure way, not defiling himself with the things of the world. And that's another application for us. You are living in the midst of the world. What are the ways you need to not compromise? Or maybe what are the connections even you need to break off? Um, Because they are not helping you. They're dragging you into sin. And we're going to see. Lot's choice of a place to live does not end up going well to him. His association with the wickedness of the world, even though it, it doesn't seem that that Lot totally gets lost in all of that, it still clearly has a negative effect on him and on his family and on his descendants. So there's a warning to be had there. Uh, We see great lessons about faith in the promises of God. Now, you're not Abraham, uh, and there's some specific things, right? You shouldn't be expecting to have a a son of the promise like Isaac, uh, but you have promises from God in the gospel, and I want you to consider how faith in those promises should change your mindset and affect your life today, and to do so in these categories, thinking about being magnanimous, being a worshiper, being courageous, and being pure in an impure world. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.